Welcome to the first episode of Living More of a Life, the podcast. My name is Jane Tarrant and I'm your host. And I've been incredibly lucky to spend the afternoon talking to Dr. Nal McCann. Many of us look for a purpose in life, but we often feel that we're not able to create a positive impact as just one person. Niall has wisely shared the following message. I think the important thing is just to realise that you can make an impact. No person is too small. He's far too awesome and complicated to introduce, so I'm going to let him do it himself. Right, well, in that case, yeah, so I'm Niall McCann, Dr Niall McCann to my mum, and I'm a National Geographic Explorer, trustee of the Royal Geographical Society, my main job is that I'm conservation director of an organisation called National Park Rescue, which I helped to found. We're an NGO that identifies national parks in Africa that can't go poaching and then goes in to try to rescue them. I'm a trustee of the Wallace Air Trust. I'm a member of the Brecon Mountain Rescue Team. And I moonlight in wildlife television as a presenter. I've been lucky enough to present a bunch of one-off documentaries and some series on human-wildlife conflict. So in a nutshell, that's me. So in a nutshell, you're relatively adventurous and into the environment. Yes, and wherever possible, try to combine both. Because I think lots of people imagine when they think of adventures and expeditions, they're imagining mountains or oceans or ice caps. And those are great fun. But you can have just as extraordinary adventures and expeditions in a natural history context. And that's something I've kind of made a personal aim of over the years, is to have those types of unbelievable adventures with wildlife as your topic. Brilliant. And from for someone who didn't really understand when we last spoke what natural history is, can mm. you just put that in simple terms for anybody else listening? What is natural history? Natural history is the living world. It's everything around us, all of the wildlife, all of the plants, all of the people and all of the interactions that they have. So understanding natural history is understanding the world around us. Fantastic. That is beautifully put. Um, this podcast is called Living More of a Life. So to start off, I wanted to ask you, what does it mean to you to live more of a life? Oh, I suppose for me, one of the most important things has been just trying to make sure that the life you lead has a positive impact as well as just being something personal. Because you can do wonderful travels and have amazing experiences and lead a hugely, lead a hugely personally enriched life. But for that to be ostensibly damaging, whereas for me, the key has been to try and do all of those things in a context where I leave a positive legacy behind through environmental work and through engaging with people and institutions wherever I go. So it's about trying to firstly hugely enjoy myself because that's really important, but then also leave a positive legacy. Fantastic. So, for example, when somebody thinks I'm going to go and travel the world, maybe to think if there's something positive they can do whilst doing that or because of that potentially not necessarily while they're out there they might not know what they can do but to really think about what they can learn from that and how they can positively change something in their life for the benefit of others in the world around them I think that's important because a lot of people for years I suppose from the 60s onwards live via the mantra that if it feels good do it but that can be hugely damaging for everyone else around you or, or, or for the planet and we now know that if you're traveling the globe just for the sake of traveling the globe your personal carbon footprint is massive. Whereas if you can offset that by doing great deeds wherever you go or, or using using your travel as a vehicle for good, then 
it's not just acceptable, but it should be actively encouraged. So I think people should travel. They should go and visit other cultures and learn more about the world. That, that should be actively encouraged, but in a way that gives back as opposed to as purely selfish. That is a brilliant way of looking at it. How has it changed for you since you've actually had your daughter, who's a similar age to mine? Um, how has living your life changed for you and getting the most out of your life? I suppose I value being at home more, whereas I, I always loved my wife a lot, but I was away a lot as well. And I'm still traveling abroad whenever I can. Obviously, cu current situation uh, precludes that. But I just miss home more now that my daughter's here. And it's it's that that family bond. It's not just me and my little daughter. It's me, my wife and my daughter as that as that team. And I love being part of that team. So I'm really careful to try and minimise the amount of time I'm away. I earn my living by being abroad for quite a lot of the time. That, that That's an inevitability through the life that I've chosen. But trying to manage that in a way that doesn't damage my relationship with my wife and my daughter is, is key. And then when I am back at home, back in the UK, just making sure that I'm really present and that I'm always there being a dad, being the one that can always play silly games, make noises at and run around the house and just be, be a really present dad. And really trying to nurture that family unit and I'd always always hugely valued my relationship with my wife we've been together for a very long time and I've been going away for a very long time but it does put a different dynamic on it when you throw a child into the mix as well and it's it's, it's the best it's the best thing ever for me um it's not going to stop me going away but by any means it just means I value my time at home even more absolutely I think uh, I think a lot of people can relate to that, especially there are people that go away for work or for other reasons. Um, and I think having a child can just change your perspective on an element of it, not stop you doing what you love, but just change how you approach it. And also when you're at home, as you say, being present is incredible. Um, it makes the time you do have there, no matter how long it is, so much better. Who taught you that the environment will affect your life and the life of others? My parents were really heavily involved in environmentalism from a young age that they, they, they were both biologists my mum's also a geographer her father was a glaciologist so, so had a very professional uh, opinion about what was happening to the world and, and what goes wrong when you don't take care of of it so from a young age I've always been brought up with an appreciation of the natural world but my parents were never pushy I think they always wanted me to do something that was going to have a positive impact but I was I was never forced into that by any means they, they, they guided by doing, I suppose, more than anything else. So they've always wanted to volunteer and contribute and give something back and be positive individuals in the community. And I suppose eventually, once you get through your awkward teenage years, that rubbed off. And I decided that that's what I wanted to do with my career as well. And did you get also any sort of information from school or is it literally, do you feel that the entire thing came from your family and that your schooling didn't really help with that side of looking at it? It's really hard to remember. Yeah, I left school obviously quite a long time ago and have very little memory as to whether or not they tried to encourage us to be good citizens or, or not. And most of my schoolmates are not. So I don't know whether, whether that was the schooling or just a byproduct of something else. Um, certainly, my, my, my sixth one college was 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 good. It was a state state sixth one college, but it was positive. And and a few teachers there definitely tried to nurture those of us that seemed to have a bit more of a of a worldly outlook. So we were encouraged to get involved in a few extra things outside of the normal curriculum, which which was nice. But I think when certainly when I was that age, I wasn't sufficiently engaged to think that that the few extra bits I was doing then were going to lead on to anything in particular. It's just developed organically over time as I've 
become more and more sure that I want to lead the type of life that I'm leading. And for the future generations, the ones that are currently growing up and being encouraged by their parents or grandparents or anybody else in their life, including teachers, what do you hope for them? I really hope that there's decent wild places still around and that the environment that we have is livable. Certainly in the UK, climate change is having an enormous impact on us, but for many people they see it as a positive because it's warmer and people don't really like the cold. Whereas if you're living in equatorial regions, climate change is making those parts of the world uninhabitable, totally and utterly uninhabitable by people. And that's going to have a massive knock-on impact on firstly those communities and then secondly any of the communities that these climate refugees are, are, um, are fleeing to. So firstly I hope that the world that future generations are living in is, is, is habitable and then secondly I hope that the rich tapestry of biodiversity that we have still just about at the moment is around in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years time and then in perpetuity. I can only imagine what it was like visiting Africa or Latin America 100 years ago and the unbelievable abundance of life that was around at that time. But we don't have that now. Our baselines have shifted considerably, but I really hope they don't shift even further. And so that the natural spectacles that we get to witness today are a thing of the past in a few years time. I really hope that's not the case. Absolutely. I mean, I've done my fair share of traveling and really enjoyed going to actually learn a little bit more about wildlife and such like. But I would say that for me, I felt that it hasn't been easy to understand what you can do to make a difference, what your impact is on when you do go traveling, when you're in your own country, when you're when you're doing certain things. It's it's a case of you don't learn in school in mind in my uh, time at least how you can really positively impact or how we are negatively impacting I think that's probably the thing I found that if I'd learn okay well this is what we're doing to the world and this is how it's being destroyed so when you go and do what I do bear that in mind I think I may have had a different outlook on when I did travel or uh, what job I could go into and I don't think that that's something that has been very well laid out um, for our, for our, my generation anyway. I'm 31 now, um, and my concern is that I think it's going to be for the next generations potentially even worse. That they they are in a position where there's so little left that they can't even see what they might lose because we already know that things are extinct yes. or are in you know they're so far away you'd never see them. Yeah, so that's the issue with shifting baseline syndrome is is that you whatever you grew up with is normal to you. Whereas what our parents grew up with was totally different to what we're growing up with in terms of the abundance and diversity of life. And future generations will be growing up with less and that's just normal to them. So, so they don't witness the enormous loss that really has happened because th these losses take place over, over decades as opposed to over, over, over just years or weeks. So that's a major issue. I think when it comes to the education system, one of the main problems is that a lot of our education is, is geared towards making people join the machine and become employees and, and be workers as opposed to making people into great citizens who are going to leave the world a better place and being a worker is not necessarily a good thing <laughs> yeah of course we we, we need employment that, that that's something we need but but you can be very specific about the type of employment that you that you accept labor is a powerful force and if you're unwilling to commit your labor to an industry that's damaging then industries will have to shift 
their pop their priorities and their policies so that they attract the labor that's available if you are only willing to commit your labor to something that's net positive that makes the world better then industry will have to shift accordingly unfortunately people are willing to do all kinds of awful things for their jobs <laughs> types of things that they would never do in their home privately they might be lovely but then they go and work for a bank that's extracting natural resources out of the center of the Congo and having a terrible negative impact on the people there. And yet you sit around a dinner table and they're, they're lovely and they're conscientious, but in their professional life, they're awful. <laughs> and if people took the morality of the dinner table into the workplace, the world would be so much of a better place. Absolutely. Do you think that people don't feel like they're empowered to um make positive change because they are employees and that they would then say well it's the job of my uh of the business owner of the directors to put us in a position where we can be more eco-friendly or we can be more aware of what our business is doing to the world and do you think that people just feel like oh well there's nothing I can do but I've got to put food on the table and at the end of the day you know I come first. Do you think that is the current issue? It's a major issue, but it is a cop-out. And I, I remember Yola Williams a few years ago giving a fantastic talk about the state of nature in the UK and how there was a major problem with deforestation happening in Wales and then people planting in these, these pine uh, pine plantations that are terrible for the environment. And he says he doesn't blame the workers that are, that are chopping the trees down and, and planting the trees. He, he blames the system that the workers are working for. And, and I disagree slightly. I do blame the workers because if, if no one was willing to chop down ancient oaks, ancient woodland, and then replace that with pine, then that industry couldn't exist. So your labour is powerful. If you are unwilling to do something bad, then that industry simply can't exist. There are other people that are willing to, to do something awful, but that, that number should get smaller and smaller. But the fact that people don't have sufficient trust in their own abilities and the strength of their labor, the power of their labor, means that they're willing to do the types of things that they would never conscience in their personal life. That's an interesting one. I think that would be one where a lot of people would be on both sides of it. Um, I find it very difficult to have a black and white view about most things <laughs> as a general rule of life. Um, but that for me, it's exciting that that is a possibility that somebody could be empowered to do that. Um, I would love to know more, maybe maybe not today, but I would love to know more about how somebody who's in that position could start to make that change. And I do think that um, it's possible that you can talk to your employer and just raise your concerns. I do think it's possible that you can um, research better ways of doing things and see if there's actually a cost saving of doing it as well. That seems to be the main reason why we don't do things that are good for the environment and other people. Um, and I also think that there are quite a few people that are also thinking about doing their own companies because or setting up their own companies because how else are you going to be able to create that change in a way that you want to in, in the time frame that you'd like um do you think that going into sort of self-employment or, or setting up your own company is one of the fastest and best ways of making a positive change in this current climate with the amount of people that are willing to do bad jobs yes i completely agree that setting up your own organization is the best way i suppose the fastest way to make change but it's difficult it's, it, it takes it takes bravery it can take a lot of um financial out, output which many people can't can't afford necessarily 
and there's a lot of uncertainty about it. But if you are sufficiently passionate about making a difference, then refusing to work for an organization that, that isn't positive is a good start. And, and if you can't find employment in a business or a company that is sufficiently positive, then starting up your own is certainly a, a brilliant way of going about it. Create those jobs, make those jobs available for other people that also want to make the world a better place. And hopefully the businesses that aren't positive for the environment and for other people will then eventually die out because why would you choose that over one that's going to be generally better? Yeah, precisely. So Shell and BP and these companies, they know that the future of energy isn't resource extraction. It's it's about renewables. They're not going to be taking fossil fuels out of the earth forever. But at the moment, they're so incentivized by governments in order to continue doing that, that there's very little reason for them to go out of it. Whereas once the incentives are there for them to move across into renewables, they'll make that shift and, and we'll find these these awful damaging companies becoming the ones that are at the forefront of, of building back in a green way, building back better. But I honestly believe if labour, if people were unwilling to work for these companies while they're still doing these negative practices, then they would shift faster. That's an interesting thought. Do you think that, I mean, you can see government getting involved in things like, you know, the type of cars that we are suggested to buy and then sometimes it then switches to a different viewpoint later on um, and you can see um, them having sort of goals as to what they might want to do in terms of emissions in certain areas or you know th there are areas where we see change from government which could be seen as positive. Do you think that huge change in terms of packaging or in terms of the way in which we run things on a on a much smaller scale you know we've already seen like plastic bags from um, supermarkets that sort of change so you know do you think it's going to come from government that the big big changes to say you've got to do it because that's now how it's done and therefore all get in line and I don't care if it saves you 10p a bag the point is that it's not right do you think that's what we're going to need um, to actually make some serious change quickly? Yes so grass, grassroots movements are fantastic and really important and we've seen what the protest movement can do over the last few weeks it's, it's extraordinary how powerful that can be but if you want rapid change that's lasting it has to come from government uh, in in overnight they can ban smoking indoors and think of the massive knock-on impact that that's had on the health of the nation since we were no longer allowed to smoke inside pubs they can ban plastic bags overnight those types of things can only happen at a government level which is why i put a lot of focus at banging on the door of government to make sure that they're aware of these issues because a lot of the time they're just not aware and someone has to make them aware and that should be you it should be everyone like your your mp has to represent you that's literally their job is to represent their constituents so call call up your mp go and visit her sit down and have and have a chat with her at the weekend and bring these issues to their attention because they won't be aware of them they'll be they'll be much more worried about something else happening in their constituency I mean, I sort of feel that I grew up thinking that certain people should know more than others or certain people are just because they're older, they would know enough about this sort of thing. And I've, as I've got older, I'm realising how naive I was. And, you know, if something was unsafe for us, like a chemical that we buy and use in our home, that we would it wouldn't be sold if it was bad for our health because somebody would have tested it. And I think these sorts of things are it's naivety at its best. I mean, I had absolutely no inkling that it was a case of, yeah, okay, there might be one or two things that haven't been tested quite properly, but to find that the, a lot of the products out there and a lot of the things that we do on in day-to-day -day life are incredibly bad for our health. Mm -hmm. And 
I think it's it's that time of going actually I'm okay about the fact I have been naive and I'm okay about that but I'm but I'm not okay about it anymore I want to know more and I want to know more and I'm okay that I won't know everything but it's that thirst to kind of say well actually what what can I learn and what can help improve and for others that are kind of in that mindset where they go oh gosh I hadn't really thought about that either what would you suggest that somebody can do to make that change now? Because it can make you much more fulfilled, much more happy, have a much better life if you've got a bit of a purpose. And quite frankly, a lot of people spend their whole life looking for a purpose, but actually just protecting um, the world for ourselves and our, our daughters and our sons and our grandchildren and the great grandchildren, etc. Do you think that there is anything in particular you could advise to normal people that are in that situation where they go actually I would like to make a difference but I just thought as well little old me I could never do anything what can they do the very simplest thing we can all do is eat less meat that's, okay. that's the, the, the simplest thing that can have a massive impact on the world and is as easy as just doing less of something so, so it, it's very simple for everyone uh, I I still eat some meat but I eat far less than I used to. And I know that that's having a massive knock-on impact on, on the world. Deforestation as a result of agricultural expansion is one of the greatest contributors to climate change and biodiversity loss in the world. That biodiversity loss is also then contributing to emerging infectious diseases, the most obvious of which is COVID-19, which has shut down the planet. So by, by eating less meat, knock-on effect is reducing the possibility of future pandemics and everything else that it's doing. But by far and away, the simplest thing you can do just be more of a vegetarian and you don't have to be a total vegetarian just eat less meat and if you are eating meat make it local you're supporting local businesses making sure that it's sustainably grown strong animal welfare etc etc it's a very simple and powerful thing you can be as a consumer so eat less meat and eat more local meat mm, totally yeah is as local as much as you can for, for all kinds of food that we possibly can it's, it's you are powerful as a consumer supermarkets are, are, are not great moral arbiters they respond to what their consumers are buying and if more people buy organic if more people buy british if more people buy vegetarian meals then they will stock more of that and that's the power of the consumer you can have a huge impact personally plus on, on all your family and your friends like all of us speak to our family and friends try and encourage them to eat slightly less meat or to think about what type of meat they eat if you think about the amount of water or carbon it goes into creating a, a kilo of beef is vastly more than a kilo of chicken for example so maybe replace a beef meal with a chicken meal it makes an enormous difference and it's very simple for you to do as an individual that's very interesting i mean i've already started to eat a little less meat recently but more from a health reason that the less meat there is the more i have to put something else on my plate and <laughs> the more the more that i have to put something else on my plate the more likely i am to add some variety and the more variety the more likely i am to have good gut health and therefore good health so yeah. i've done it from more of a health way than an environmental knowledge but actually it's really nice to know that yes I still enjoy meat and I still like meat and I still want to have some um, and I know for certain vitamins um, it's quite useful to have a bit of meat unless you're going to have some supplements um, which you, you can obviously have supplements and be a vegan if you want to but it's just interesting to know that it could be a double whammy that it's not just uh, good for my health which I know from one side it is which some people may not for, on, listen to this podcast but also you're going to have a, a double whammy what else can somebody do um, in as well as eat less meat, uh, to make some positive change to the whole world around them. Voting is an enormously powerful thing as well. <laughs> your, your vote, just go out and vote and make sure the person you're voting for is not uh, a, a, a terrible person for the environment. So 
if you're voting for someone that, that is actively promoting the local coal power station, then your vote is being wasted if you're wanting to have a positive impact. So as a consumer, I think that's something you can, you can do, which is huge, as we've talked about. And then uh, using democracy and making sure that our representatives are representing our environmental values is very important. And then otherwise, again, something that's really positive for your own personal growth and positive for the environment is visit wild places. If you go and visit a national trust property or visit wildlife trust properties or go to the national parks, you're bringing income into those areas. You're, you're then putting huge extra value onto them and you're generating enormous amounts of pleasure and positive mental health for yourself by going into beautiful places. It's a very simple thing to do as, a, as opposed to going into town to a coffee shop, go to the local national trust property, go there instead. Brilliant. And if you go regularly enough, then it's actually quite affordable because you pay for your membership and you can always take a picnic if you really want to. Um, and national parks are free. National trust properties cost some, but but you're giving to a very positive cause. And national parks are free. You go for a walk, your, your, your footfall will, will count and that gets used by the National Parks Authority to lobby the government for further... For, um, further habitat protection etc etc so your footfall counts but also it's completely free for you and you're getting out in the open and having experiences in nature it's probably the best thing you can do for yourself what about those who want to go to africa go to the serengeti in tanzania or you know go to various places where they can go and see wildlife um how do you feel about that again i think it's really important and there's obviously there's an environmental cost to traveling to these places and uh, you can offset your carbon on, on your flight there's various projects which enable you to do that but also by going to these places you're you're voting with your feet you are you are telling the government of kenya that that those animals and these national parks are important by your by your visit and that's unfortunately at the moment what they need wild places need to justify themselves financially if you look at a country like botswana between 10 and 12 percent of its gdp is based on ecotourism if they stop having people go to visit their elephants that will no longer be such it's so important for them they will no longer invest in them and it won't it, it, it will then have a negative knock-on impact on the environment so by visiting these places you're proving that they are worthy of protection Brilliant. And are there any other things around the world? Obviously, an African game park might be an obvious one to me, but are there any? Is there anything else around the world that could bring positive change? If you're going to go and visit something on a holiday, why don't you go and actually spend there? Is there anything else you can think of? I think it's just important to try and look at local projects that are that are doing regenerative work. So trying to build back in terms of planting trees or uh, rehabilitating rivers or whatever it is and go on go to holidays but maybe holiday with a purpose so so find a little local ngo and donate a couple of days of your of your holiday into a project like that you, you, you'll hugely boost the work they're doing and again you're showing the governments of your host nation that these are important projects and they matter to you being an international tourist is really valuable your foreign exchange is something that is key to all of these host nations and if you spend it wisely you're putting a lot of pressure on the governments brilliant so so far eat less meat Use your vote, but preferably for someone who's a bit more aware of the uh, environment and isn't doing things or the best of a bad bunch, if that's all you can get. Uh, potentially. Yeah, um, and uh, and go and visit um, places of wildlife to show your support for those and hopefully ones that you can pay towards if you can afford that as well. What else can people do to make positive change? We all should try to influence the people around us. Things that make you feel better and, and give you purpose are likely to also help friends and family find purpose and feel better about themselves as well. 
And so we should talk to them about it, talk to our friends and, and, and our families about the things we're doing and try and encourage them to do it as well. Get them to, instead of going to a football match on Saturday afternoon, go for a walk in nature and see how that does for them instead. And all of these little things, just trying to bring people along with us because it's, it's going to be a social movement. Yes, it takes governments to, to dictate down to us to some extent, but also gra grassroots movements are incredibly powerful, as we've seen. And so we should try and bring our friends and family along on this journey with us. So if we can come from the top and come from the bottom, we can meet in the middle somewhere, having both done a load of work first. One hopes. <laughs> and do you think that uh, now we've obviously experienced the lockdown in, in the UK, do you think that this might have just sparked for a few people um, the ability to appreciate the smaller more natural things in life you know we've been stuck in our homes dying to get out yeah the fact that we could go for a walk around a local pond or you know it might not be the most magnificent lake but it's a pond and thank goodness there's something you know um or if we've managed to go out into a woodland you know maybe people have done their socially distanced walks and they finally met in a wood um you know i hadn't been to a wood that was within cycling distance of my house and i've been here six years um it's not that i don't ever go anywhere nice um but this particular one i just not got round to but now i know that obviously it's something to prioritize uh do you think people will have changed how they look at that sort of thing now i really hope that they will anyone that's had a garden has been blessed to have a garden over this time and as we're seeing over the last few days with, with lockdown starting to ease people are flocking to beauty sites I know that mountain rescue call-outs in the Peak District are up by about 300% on what they were last year, and, and that, that, that's bad for one one side of things, but it's also a good sign. It means that lots and lots of people are going to these places and trying to experience them, and I think that's that's a really nice thing. But it, it has changed a lot in my lifetime as well. When when I was growing up, Snowdonia was not popular to go and visit, whereas now Snowdonia is hugely popular to visit. The, the car park on, at Penny Pass to try and go at Snowdon is always full by nine o'clock in the morning even in weekdays. And that's a sign that more and more people are enjoying the outdoors, which, which can only be a good thing. And I think lockdown will make that happen even faster. And also, I mean, so far, I can see that generally the advice you've given that will help the environment and the world around us and other people, actually by doing that, we can get health benefits from it as well, be it either physical health, i.e. you're going out walking or you're uh, going to have to eat something if you're not going to eat meat, um, you know, but also from a mental point of view, you know, to be out in greenery and to be out in a natural environment. What do you know that that does to people? Time in nature has a massive positive impact on people's mental health and mindfulness and, and, and wellness is starting to be incorporated into, uh, into public health policies because it's becoming more and more clear that being out in the wilds clears your mind of stresses. It's a wonderful de-stressor. Doing little bits of exercise are great for your physical health, great for your mental health. All of these little things, that, that they're tiny little things that, that you can do personally that make your life better and also have a positive impact on the environment. Cycle into town as opposed to driving into town. Go for a walk from your house as opposed to driving somewhere to do it. They're all little things that you can do. They're reducing pollution. They're increasing the amount of exercise you have and they're having a net positive impact. And a massive one right now. I mean, I'm in a home office and I actually don't have a need to go to the office unless I physically have to take something, bring something or meet someone in person. Um, or go to a site of a client, for example. But really, should we be pushing for working without having to travel, whatever that means, travel by car or travel by bus? Um, you know, we could travel by bike or walking or something, if that makes sense. But 
should we be pushing for that with our employers as employees having potentially feeling like we don't have much control else in other ways yeah i think working from home can be really positive for your mental health and uh, and for the environment as well because you're reducing the amount of traffic there was an excellent billboard here in cardiff a few years ago saying you're not stuck in traffic you are traffic which was an interesting way of bringing that reality to your mind you, every time you get in the car you're contributing to pollution and, and traffic congestion etc etc and if you can work from home or if you can cycle to work then you're just going to have a positive impact on that the only industry that's going to be negatively impacted by this is the people that are into to leasing out office space but like any industry that's damaging they'll shift they'll they'll move they'll find something else to do because i think more and more people should and will work from home it's, it's good for your mental health it's good for the environment Brilliant. So that's a really easy thing that people can do if they're in a position where they have been working from home in, in this current uh, situation and could continue to or have been furloughed. But when they go back, um, they'll be expected to work from an office and uh, it's been possible to work from home. What else could people do? Well, I think it's really important, whether you're working from home or doing anything in your life, is to make time for yourself and make time for exercise in particular. If, if you're working from home your laptop's here you're always on it but you need to have time to shut down and, and get out do some exercise make yourself feel a little bit better and I think that's vital absolutely vital that you do that if I don't stop at 11 o'clock and have a coffee read the paper and go for a walk that, that then my day is not as positive as it can be so I think certainly as people start to work from home more and more and more they need to start they need to remember to think about themselves and what's a really good way of making sure you do it Having a set time, I think, is key. So for me, 11 o'clock in the morning, or a few minutes either side, that's that's coffee time. That's when I stop and I have coffee and I read the paper. And then kind of 5 to 5.30, somewhere around there, is, is where I, I down tools and I go and do some exercise. And then come in if I need to work later, that's fine. But but I've had those two breaks and then a break for lunch in between that, that are absolutely key. And, and for me, they're, they're sacrosanct. I, I don't want to stop doing those. I, and I won't. I'll refuse. And do you think that by taking that time, it makes you a better husband, a better dad? Of course, because if I if I was just working constantly and I wasn't having these breaks, then I would be more stressed. I wouldn't be anywhere near as uh, as pleasant to engage with from my, my, my wife's perspective or my daughter's perspective. So just taking care of yourself is a really important aspect to taking care of, of, of those around you. And yeah, take time to yourself and everyone else will, will thank you for it. Absolutely. I, I would probably agree that I think I've worked in a, a situation where I've just worked, work, 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 and so intensely that I get to Sunday and just sleep all day. I wouldn't see any friends. I wouldn't do anything, really. It was very much just focus on career. And it was the most miserable years of my life. Um, and since then, and more recently, I've been much more focused on, well, what if I put me first? What if I actually looked after my health and well-being a little bit better? What could I give out? And I found that it's enabled me to, to think, well, actually, I'm now thinking about other people in the world around me more than I ever did before. Because before it was just get this done and I haven't got time for me, let alone other people. <laughs> Whereas when you've got time for you, you start to think whether you've got time for others as well. Mm hmm. Um, and it's just a, a mindset shift, which could be helpful for some. Um, what would you love to achieve now with the rest of your time on this earth, knowing that you're no longer 20, but you're not 60 either? You've got uh, you've got a period of time left to really make some positive change. What would you like to continue to do or would you like to do that you haven't yet done? 
so my focus is trying to protect habitats and species around the world as much as possible and the really obvious aim for me is to create a national park i'm lucky enough to work in a job that protects an existing national park or various national parks in different parts of the world but if i could take a new patch of land and turn that into a national park then my life's work would be done i feel brilliant because at the end of the day you can't do everything in your lifetime it's about doing what you can and inspiring others to do what they can do would you agree yeah we all have our battles i've got friends that are doing incredibly virtuous things that i'd love to be involved in if i had time but but i have my battles they have theirs and, and my focus is on habitat protection and making places safe for wildlife and for people and if, if i got bogged down by taking on other people's battles as well i don't think i'll be able to do my work quite so well it's wonderful that all everyone has their own interests and that's that's the diversity of of life and thought that we have and it's great that people are interested in all these things but find what you're really passionate about and follow that to the fullest of your ability and that's something i'm i'm learning to do i'm, I'm easily distracted but I'm, I'm learning to focus on the things that i'm most passionate about brilliant and for your daughter i mean this is a really big one for me and one of the mm. reasons why i'm so focused on what i'm doing myself because she will do what i do not what I say. <laughs> um, and she will also look to me for guidance as to how she can maybe think about living her life and then she can choose how she does. But when you're looking at your daughter, you've got your goals, great, um, but you've also got world goals for your daughter as well as sort of general happiness goals for your daughter. What do you hope to do to make sure that she lives the best life she can um and in a way that she's also uh living the best life for others as well i think the most important thing you can do as a parent is to give your child the opportunity to express themselves in any way they all have natural interests and natural talents and i think it would be wrong to just just to push them really hard in one direction you can give them the breadth of experience broad as possible to then allow them to express themselves as 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 they wish i think that's a really important job so my wife and i we will try and encourage her to do certain things but we certainly won't force her into it but if we can provide an example through our own behavior and, and the way we're leading our own lives that, that tries to be positive and then give her the opportunity to, to express herself creatively across whatever she wants then that's the most important thing you can do as a parent so just a little example of that, um, especially if someone hasn't got a huge amount of money to spend or they're not quite sure how to do that. I mean, I've just started growing vegetables this year for the first time ever. And she's 16 months old and she already has two watering cans. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she uh, and she digs with my fork and and generally toddles all the way over my vegetables before they're coming up. But she's incredible and she's so interested in the garden and, and another child that I know locally who I have looked after when when they've been younger um for, for various hours here and there and whenever they were upset or whether they were interested they I just took them outside of the garden and showed them flowers and and got them outside and instantly stopped crying or just got really involved in something and would you say that just something as simple as that, even if you don't have a garden, you know, go somewhere where either there's an allotment that they can get involved in or um, go to a woodland and actually take a woodland book and learn about it. Would you say that's a, just a really simple way of starting that process for a very young child? Completely. Ch children are obsessed with nature. They love nature. Uh, and it's a great sad fact of life that 
most adults fall out of love with nature. And it's, it's hard to know why they do that. It's something about the, the ravages of puberty that, that breaks our relationship with nature. But kids are naturally interested in it. So my, my daughter, age 16 months now, spots birds and makes a very uh, a little excited noise whenever she sees a bird fly over. And to try and harness that is a very simple thing to do as a parent. And your child will be receptive. They want to engage with animals. They want to engage with plants and trees and all these things. That's what they want. You just feed their natural enthusiasm for nature. And hopefully that'll transition into adulthood as well. Brilliant. Well, I think that's a really good place to kind of finalise on my questions. Um, I think we've got a lot of food for thought for anybody who either has a child or doesn't have a child or doesn't even know where to start. At the end of the day, if you give too much um, for someone to do, they're never going to do it. But um, small changes, as you've just mentioned, are just some of them. I'm sure there's plenty of others that I'll cover in the rest of the podcast as well. Uh, but is there anything else that you would like to part with that you think is incredibly important? I think the important thing is just to realise that you can make an impact. No person is too small. The phrase is, if anyone thinks they're too small to have to make a difference, try spending a night in a room with a mosquito. And just remembering that, if we're all, all being that mosquito, all of us are able to have that big impact. Even if that's just on a local level, you're still making the world a better place, just affecting you, your family and the people around you. Everyone can have an impact. That's a really good message because it's not one that I believed when I was younger. And I'm now starting to realise that that is actually true. Good. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's been really wonderful talking to you today. And um, uh, how, if somebody is interested in, in you and wants to understand a bit more about what you do and, and, and sort of support uh, maybe some of the charities you're involved with or some of the projects you're involved with, how can they find out about more about you and do that? Yeah, so my personal website is nilemccann.com and my organisation is nationalparkrescue.org. Fantastic. Well, hopefully everybody's enjoyed that, um, whoever listens. And um, I really, really appreciate you giving me the time. Thank you very much. And hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for having me. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to subscribe or if you're listening on a platform where you can leave a review, please do so. You can follow all further episodes on my website, www.canidoitmyself.com or follow me on Instagram at incrementaljane. See you again soon.